Good morning. <laughs> Grace to you and peace from God the Creator and from Jesus Christ, our Teacher and Redeemer, and from the Holy Spirit who binds us together in Christian worship. I want to welcome everyone to worship this morning, whether you're here in person or joining us via Zoom. Hi, Mom. We are so glad to have you chosen, that you have chosen to worship with us today. Uh, we'd also like to uh, welcome Trudy. Uh, you may or may not know Carol is out uh, injured and sick. So Trudy has once again stepped into the breach. To, uh, and so I am filling in for Trudy's duties as liturgist this morning. And we'd also like to welcome Reverend David Bennett to bring us the word this morning. So we begin our worship by lighting the Christ candle. Whenever we do this, remember, we, we remember Jesus' promise in the Gospel of Matthew that wherever two or more are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Now as we prepare our hearts and minds for worship, I would invite you to meditate on the image on the cover of the bulletin, as well as the accompanying statement of the artist, offering this time to God as a prayer to help guide you into this time and space as we listen to the prelude.
Let us rise in body or remain upright in spirit as we join together in the call to worship. <coughs> May we find courage here. Courage to follow our call. Courage to live out our faith. May we find hope here. Hope for a better world. Hope that refuses to let us go. May we find truth here. May we find all that we seek. And in our seeking, may we know God. Amen. Let us join our voices together as we sing hymn number 14, For the Beauty of the Earth.
Let us pray. Mighty God, we gather today, insider and outcast, resurrecting and resurrected, grateful that you receive our whole selves. We give thanks and declare your praises as a people formed by your hand and called in by your love. In the name of one who continually invites us closer by your love, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. There are very few things as powerful as a group of people that admits they are not perfect and ask for grace as they grow. Imagine what our world might be like if every institution had such a weekly rhythm. Friends, we can light the way. Let us be brave in our truth-telling and honest in our confession, for we will always be met by grace. Together, let us pray the prayer of confession. Jesus of Nazareth, we admit that we often tuck our faith into our pockets, hiding in a place of comfort, rather than proudly declaring, yes, we are Christian, yes, we believe, Yes, this faith has changed me. We are so afraid of offending others or embarrassing ourselves that we have established rules. No faith at the dinner table. No faith in politics. No faith with strangers. Forgive us for whispering when we could be singing. Forgive us for staying quiet when we could be part of rewriting the narrative. We want to be brave. We want to pour out perfume over your feet. These things we pray. Amen. And hear us as we confess to you in the silence of our own hearts. Family of faith, here's the good news. Even in our silence, God loves us. Even in our fear or shame, God chooses us. Even when we sin, God wraps us in grace. You are free to be bold, to be brazen, to be exactly who God called you to be. Wrapped in grace, we are emboldened to share the peace of Christ that we have found, a peace that passes all understanding. Let us share that peace with one another now. The peace of Christ be with you.
Prayer for illumination. Holy God, sometimes my waking is a prayer. Sometimes the song I have stuck in my head, rumbling around on repeat, is a prayer. Sometimes the way I talk to the children, the way I hug the dog, is a prayer. Sometimes the way I take my phone out to get a picture of the sunset or of the people I love, that is a prayer. Other times, prayer is moments like this. Heads bowed, eyes closed, hearts quiet for just a moment. In all of it, I trust you hear me. Help me to hear you in return. Gratefully we pray. Amen. is a little different. <laughs> it's good to be with you. I wish it wasn't under these circumstances of loss uh, that I get to, to join with you, but nevertheless, I'm, I'm grateful. I feel like I've known this church for so many years, having been part of the presbytery and worked with many folks uh, connected to this congregation, uh, but I'm grateful to be here and uh, Appreciate the, the invitation and was glad when I looked at my calendar and said, yes, I could make that work. And uh, I am preaching a while the text from John 12 is uh, going to make it into the message that I have. Uh, the primary text that I am focusing on uh, is from the uh, prophet Isaiah. And so I'm going to read Isaiah 65, 17 to 25, uh, and then I will read the, the gospel lesson. For I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I am creating Jerusalem as a joy, Ooh, that's much better, and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant that lives but a few days or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For one who dies at a hundred years will be considered a youth, and one who falls short of a hundred will be considered accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For, the, for like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands they shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they will be, shall be offspring blessed by the Lord and their descendants as well. Before I call, before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. 
The wolf and the lamb shall feed together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox, but the serpent, its food shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. And then turning to our gospel lesson in John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said to him, Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? O Lord, may the words of my mouth, may the thoughts and meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Back when I was in high school, which is now a few more decades than I like to admit, I began to explore a hobby that would end up shaping my life in some profound ways. And it started when my uncle gifted me with his first 35-millimeter camera. And I began to take pictures using its one and only lens. And those of you who may have had one of these, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It is a 50 millimeter fixed lens. It's the standard size. It's not wide angle. It's not telephoto. It's not a zoom lens because zoom lenses actually when I was starting out were far less prevalent uh, and much too expensive for an amateur. Uh, But looking back, Looking back on having that first camera with that fixed 50-millimeter lens, I'm so glad that I actually didn't have other options because there are things that you learn using a fixed lens that you can't when you're learning to take pictures with a zoom lens. And especially when you fast forward to today when you're learning to take pictures on a phone like this. It makes you really have to think about the elements of composition, ones that you might never have considered without a fixed frame. It also makes you move around, forces you to maybe say, okay, I'm trying to capture this image here, but maybe maybe it's going to look better if I go to that side, or maybe if I go down here and look up, or as I've always had the privilege to be able to look down on something. It always uh, amazes me that when you shift that perspective, you often find just the right view. And I'll tell you, we, we today with our, Zoom, our, our, film cam, our, our phone cameras, um, 
you, you often take a picture and you say, oh, I'll just crop it later. I'll just go back and, and, and think about it differently at a later time if I don't have the time at that moment. But I'll tell you, <laughs> that's not the same. You don't get the composition that you might uh, have found if you had actually moved around or if you had actually considered all the different angles. I know one of my photographers that I loved uh, and still love is Ansel Adams, and he used to actually go places and study the weather, weather, weather patterns, sometimes for days. He would sit there and say, and wait for that perfect time when he knew that the, the, the sun would be in a certain spot, there would be likely to be clouds. I mean, he really thought about it long before he took those pictures. Of course, he was shooting with film that was literally 8 by 10 inches, and that's, that's a lot of film. That's probably, I don't know what the equivalent of a 35 millimeter would be, but it's, that's a lot of frames. But this limitation that we thought, that I thought initially when I had this lens, oh, wouldn't it be great to have a wonderful collection or, or this really fancy zoom lens, actually helped me develop what you call creative muscles, forced me to think uh, or examine things much more closely. Of course, if you were to take a look at my 35 millimeter camera collection today, uh, there would be a lot of lenses, a lot of even some zoom lenses. Uh, but I still prefer a fixed lens. I still enjoy putting in a roll of black and white film into my 35 millimeter camera and going around with that, that fixed uh, lens. In fact, I kind of made my daughter do that. <laughs> She's learning photography. I said, here, go out, let's shoot this. And uh, even set up my darkroom again recently and, and did, some, uh, did some black and white photos. Now, pause for a second. I'm going to fast forward a little bit in my life to today. Uh, and I promise it will all make sense in the end. Uh, I think about ministry, and uh, you know, every time I stop and I realize, wow, 18 and a half years ago is when I started. First 13 years, when I was a member of Albany Presbytery, uh, serving the Boston Spa uh, First Presbyterian Church. And then now the last five and a half years, uh, I've been working uh, in the, what do you call, mid-council or presbytery level. Uh, I had someone recently remind me uh, of some words that I said about the presbytery when I was serving in a congregation. <laughs> and they said, how did you end up there? Because I didn't always have the most favorable opinion, uh, as many people don't. But I try to change that today uh, in my work. But for the last five and a half years, I've been working at a different level, taking in views of the church, what God is up to in the world, from a very different perspective. Uh, sometimes it's like I have a wide-angle lens on. Maybe when I'm meeting with colleagues, which I haven't been able to do and I miss terribly throughout, from throughout the country, people we gather, and often there will be several times, they're often not planned, where we will start getting into conversation and we will dream about what the church could be and how we could help see that come to fruition. Sometimes it's a telephoto lens from this perspective. When I walk into a conflicted church uh, and everyone is focused in on a specific issue and you have to sort of focus in on that with them and walk with them through that difficult time. And sometimes, perhaps more often than not, you walk in and it's kind of like a 50 millimeter Lens where you see everyday people gathering together to share together God's love for each, uh, with each other and with their community. 
But there's a commonality, no matter what lens I have on, when I'm looking at the church. It's something that I see no matter what lens that I'm using. It's two things, actually, but they're related, and they sit in tension with one another. The first is what I like to call uh, collective grief and fear. Nearly all of our churches are in decline in some sort of way. The pews aren't as full as we, they used to be. Our buildings are burdensome to heat and maintain. Our giving sometimes and often doesn't meet the needs of the budget. And this grief that we might feel and fear uh, and its counterpart are normal reactions to loss or decline. We may not wear it on our sleeve, but it's hard to escape that sense of grief over what was or fear for what might happen if nothing changes. That's one thing that I see. But the other is, is in complete opposite of that. Intention with this palpable grief and fear is nothing less than the hope of the gospel. The gospel that called the church into being remains at the heart of who we are and what we are about. Whenever I get to the opportunity to visit with a church or with a session, I always, it never fails, always hear a story of God's providential work, a hand at work among them, a story of a difficult time where they persevered by clinging tightly to the promises of God, the God who promised to never leave us nor forsake us. But often this hope is a diminished hope, sort of like uh, the light hiding under the bushel we read about in Matthew's gospel. So our hope of the gospel gets hidden under this bushel of grief and fear. The tension between grief and fear on one hand and the hope of the gospel on the other is very strong. But often grief and fear claim first place. Or perhaps we need to change our lens. Perhaps we need to change the perspective from which we take our view. And for me, our text this morning from the prophet Isaiah is one of many places in scripture uh, that speak of a future reality where grief and fear no longer have a seat at the table. A future where God's new creation has become a reality, where the space between heaven and earth is no longer distinguishable. Where the past is left behind and the new thing that emerges is a delight and a joy to God. Of course, the context of this prophecy is that God's people are returning from exile. And Isaiah is offering words to guide them towards the life God wants for them and longs for them to have. And what's so amazing about this life that Isaiah speaks of is that it's not something that is far out and removed from day-to-day life, some pie-in-the-sky sort of uh, 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 reality. No, it speaks of day-to-day realities of life. It speaks of building and, and planting and enjoying the fruit of one's labor. It speaks of longevity in life. It speaks about a depth in their relationship with God. And it also speaks of peaceful relationships with each other, ones that were not possible before. I encourage you sometime later or some point this week uh, to meditate on this text and to see what stands out to you. 
because that's the way God's word often speaks. In my most recent reading of uh, this text, two verses stood out to me. It says, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. Meditate on that. Think about the fact that God rejoices over us and delights in us. And then verse 24, I love it. It says, before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. That, that verse just blows my mind, thinking about you know, we, God operating outside of time. We live in time. I mean, you can get into the, to some really, really interesting cosmic debates here. But this idea that God is answering before we call, that God is hearing while we are speaking. That this isn't some, you know, let's pick up the phone and let's see if God answers. <laughs> no, God is already in the midst of whatever it is that we are dealing with. And yet God still calls us to come. And perhaps one of the reasons I'm drawn to this text uh, is that it forces me to change my perspective on whatever is going on in my life. Maybe I have the wrong lens on the camera. So I'm not seeing maybe the big picture. Or my view is so wide that I can't see the specific thing that God is doing that's right in front of my eyes, but I have the wrong lens on and I'm too busy, distracted by the periphery. Or maybe I simply need to change my vantage point, change where I'm standing or sitting or taking my view. When I was considering today's gospel text from John 12, as we sort of round the corner of Lent into, into Holy Week, I became fixated on one verse, because there's a lot to focus on in that text, a lot that we can, could unpack. But immediately I saw a connection, and I was fixated on one verse in this familiar story, one that uh, I actually tended to gloss over in the past because I'm so focused on trying to understand Jesus' response to Judas that I forget what's happened in the three, four, or five verses before. And it's verse 2. It says, they gave a dinner for him. They gave a dinner for him. Jesus, the one who raised Lazarus from the grave, the one who performed many miracles and whose teaching generated both visceral, angry reactions by some but also sheer joy at the sound of good news by many, the one who could have filled even the largest venue of that day. No, but Jesus instead sat down for dinner with them. Sort of just like changing a lens or finding a different perspective, so sitting at table has the power to change our perspective as well, to consider things we often don't make time to consider in the rush of our daily lives. Sharing a meal together is so much more than an opportunity to nourish our bodies with food. We also feast on the abundance of those who surround us, God's abundance that we see and experience and taste and enjoy with each other. I can only imagine that the ones who only knew Jesus as this miracle worker left that day with a new appreciation for Jesus, the human being, a man whose compassion and love knows no bounds. And although we can't see it, I, I just have to believe 
that Jesus would have been the one telling jokes, getting people laughing, making light of things that we tend to make us worried or take, steal our hope. And I believe God wants hope, truly, the hope of the gospel, the hope of life with God to be front and center in the life of the church. God wants it to be the quality that stands out among all others. But living in hope is not about ignoring grief and fear. You don't just say, oh, let's just ignore that, let it sit over there and focus over here. No, I believe living in hope is about naming and acknowledging it. Say, oh, there you go, fear. There you are, grief. I see you. You exist. It's okay. <laughs> you can stay right there. I'll keep you in my view, but I'm maybe not going to focus on you as much. It's about naming it. Because when we do, then the hope can actually take the place that we want it to in our lives. To acknowledge it, say it's there, but let hope be the thing that stands out. There's a lot going on in our world right now. There's a lot going on in your church. Your pastor is going through just a terrible, just I can't even begin to imagine. Uh, yesterday I... I uh, saw some pictures on social media that Elena had put, and, and uh, you know, I happen to know uh, Harold as, as well, and um, seeing him in the, the family surrounding. It was almost like there was a table, <laughs> and Jesus was the host right there with them, standing around a hospital bed. Those are moments of holy, uh, holiness and grace and love uh, that you, know, you, you can't create for yourself. You don't want anyone to have to go through, but they are experiences of God that we never forget and that often draw us in to the, into God's love and grace and peace, a peace which surpasses all understanding, which is what I believe is one of God's greatest gifts that come from lifting up and living in hope is that God enables also for that peace which surpasses all understanding to come into our lives and give us exactly what we need. And so where are you today? Where are you as a church today? Perhaps it's a lens change. Perhaps, you know, as we're maybe close to starting to be able to do, we can sit down at table with each other. Uh, I tell you, the last few weeks I've been able to sit down with people and be in a space, and I'm just like, what is this thing? Wait, I, I took a picture from the Northern New York Presbytery meeting like this, and I said on social media, this is my Zoom screen for today. You know, like Instead of boxes, there were faces in the pews, and uh, spread out, but still, nevertheless, a, uh, a beautiful thing. But whatever it is you may need to do or feel led to do, my prayer truly is that you would discover ways to cultivate hope. And to allow it to shape you, your church, as you walk together in faith. And I'd like to close with the words of the late and amazing Nelson Mandela, who once said, May your choices reflect your hopes, not your fears. May your choices reflect your hopes, not your fears. Amen.
Let us rise together, remain upright in spirit as we join together in the affirmation of faith. I believe in beauty, beauty pulled into being by our Creator, beauty that catches our breath, beauty that turns us towards awe. I believe in courage, courage to believe, courage to stand up for the people we love, courage to love without hesitation. I believe in the Holy Spirit, who prays for us when we cannot who is brave for us when we are not. I believe in Jesus Christ, who stood up for Mary, who quieted the voice of critique, who welcomed every bid for relationship. I believe in God. I believe in God, who believes in us. Amen. Please be seated. I'd like to welcome uh, Wayne Gannett up to bring us a minute for mission. see without the light. Good morning, everyone. Uh, As you probably know, the Mission and Social Witness team has been focusing on various aspects of poverty throughout the year for our thoughtful consideration on gift giving. And then all of a sudden, the Ukraine war has happened. So I would like to bring that to your attention for a few minutes. Uh, Just a few facts. We see it on TV every single day, but as of late March, probably about 4 million refugees have fled Ukraine. Uh, There's been at least uh, 2,000, probably more, civilian casualties in Ukraine, and probably uh, 6 to 7 million people internally displaced within Ukraine. The rapid influx of displaced people in western Ukraine and neighboring countries is overwhelming response capacity in those areas. Uh, One city, Lviv, in western Ukraine was hosting more than 200,000 people, more than a quarter of its population, and that was probably more than a week ago, so the numbers have probably increased. So the question is, what can we do? We would like to suggest making a donation to the Presbyterian Disaster Assistance, PDA. PDA supports uh, other churches and ecumenical partners who are already providing assistance with basic items for survival. Uh, PDA anticipates that their response will include and is including both financial and technical assistance as a network of faith communities providing humanitarian assistance grows in the months ahead. Funds are being used for emergency humanitarian aid, such as food items, shelter, medicines, diapers, hygiene items, etc. So what uh, is Hamilton Union Presbyterian Church doing? The uh, Mission and Social Witness Committee has made a donation of $500 on behalf of the church to the Presbyterian Disaster Assistance for Ukraine. Uh, 
this is your money that you've already contributed for the MSW to uh, disperse to various causes. We would like to propose a charitable challenge for the congregation to raise $500 through individual donations, which the Mission and Social Witness Committee will then match. So with the $500 already paid and the challenge plus another $500, we could contribute possibly $1,500 or more, which would be a worthwhile contribution to the Presbyterian Disaster Assistance. Contributions uh, can be made through all your usual sources, the collection basket, uh, online to the church. They should be labeled for the PDA Ukraine response. And we will be accepting uh, responses and contributions until June 5th, Pentecost Sunday. And I'd like to thank you for your consideration. Thank you, Wayne. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul teaches us, teaches us that there is nothing which surpasses the value of knowing the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ at work in our lives and in our world. From this place of gratitude and grace, let us offer our financial gifts for the multiplication of God's work in the world.
Let us pray together. Receive, O God, all that we are, our treasures, our time, our talents, and even our forgiven flaws. May your grace be known through our giving, that others may be healed by the Spirit of Christ, our friend. Amen. This next hymn, the words are in the, in the uh, bulletin. If you want to follow the, the music along, for those musicians, uh, it's hymn, the, the tune is hymn 724. So let's uh, rise together in body or remain upright in spirit as we sing, The Lord Went to Dinner.
Please be seated. Jesus has always been one to invite. He said, drop your nets and follow me. He said, let the children come to me. He said, stand up from your mat, you are healed. Jesus has always been one to invite, and that has not changed. So friends, you are invited to this table, each and every one of us, with our doubts, our fears, our scars, our joy, our dreams, our hopes, our questions. We are invited to God's table, and here we will be met. Here we will be fed. Here we are given a taste of an expansive life that is full to the brim with love, overflowing with joy. So come, not because you must, but because you can. Come, you are invited. This table is for you. Let us pray. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. God, who knows us, we are amazed by you. Your love never runs out. Your hope never runs dry. Your joy never gives up. We wish that we could be more like you in that way. In a world that loves scarcity, your abundance is shocking. In a world that knows fear, your joy is compelling. In a world that knows anxiety, your peace is captivating. We long for these things. So today we ask you, be with us on the hamster wheel. Be with us when compassion fatigue rears her head. Be with us when stress makes it hard to breathe. Be with us when self-doubt pushes in close. Be with us when exhaustion becomes constant, or when loneliness becomes our primary language. Be with us and show us the way to life, the life you long for us. Show us a life of expansive faith. Show us a life of overflowing joy. Show us a life of absorbing beauty. Show us a life of engrossing purpose. Show us a life that is as honest and rich and meaningful as the one Jesus led. And until that expansive and holy day, we will continue to gather at this table. Until that day, we will continue to look for you in our midst. So pour out a double portion of yourself onto this bread and cup so that we might catch a glimpse of your goodness. God, we are amazed by you. Your love never runs out. So bring that never-ending love here. Together we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the 
Among friends, Jesus gathered around a table like this. Jesus took bread and broke it and said, This is my body, broken for you. Later he took the cup of wine and he said, This is the new relationship with God, made possible because of my death. Take it, all of you, in remembrance of me. So take this cup and this bread. In them, God comes to us so that we may come to God. He who has suffered for our injustices is now present in this bread. He whose body was hung on a cross is now offered to us in this cup.
going to feel awkward for a little while. <laughs> but it is so good to be at the Lord's table, to be together, to eat of the bread, and to now drink the cup. Let us partake together. time invite you to join in well it says you could lead this you want me to do it? <laughs> I'll do it. Uh, let us pray uh, together in gratitude and deep gratitude for this moment this meal these people we give ourselves to you take us out to live as changed people because we have shared the living bread and cannot remain the same Ask much of us, expect much from us, enable much by us, encourage many through us. So, Lord, may we live in your glory both as inhabitants of earth and citizens of the commonwealth of heaven. Amen. Let us uh, rise in body, remain upright in spirit as we sing... Hymn number 650, O Beauty Ever Ancient.
Beloved, as you leave this place, may you be awestruck by the beauty of this world. May you laugh, and may it be contagious. May you overflow with love for those around you. May you be effusive with hope and quick to point out joy. And in all your living and breathing and being, may you find yourself full to the brim with God's Holy Spirit. And may it change your life. In the name of the lover, the beloved, and love itself, go in peace, full to the brim, remembering who you are and whose you are. Amen.